This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. Here is an episode that we chose from the archive that we got a great response to when it was uploaded in 2020 now. Uh, have a listen and let me know what you think. If you've listened to it before, you might learn something by listening to it again. But if not, and you remember it, share it with someone who you think you might, who you think might find it helpful. Hello and welcome to Basically. I am your host, Stephanie Preisner. One of my favourite parts of this podcast is chatting on Instagram to people who listen to it and getting their feedback and stuff that they enjoyed and stuff that they want. I have had so many requests for this podcast. After I did the podcast with the funeral director, uh, David, that started off with, okay, so somebody dies, what next? What do I do? How do I organise a funeral? I don't want to have to learn that for the first time when it actually happens. And because I did that episode, people have come to me with this one. Pregnancy. Okay, I get a positive pregnancy test. What next? What do I do? Who do I ring? Do I ring a doctor? Do I ring a hospital? Is this a medical issue? And because I don't know and I have absolutely no experience in the area, I decided to get an expert. And with me in studio today, I have obstetricial gynecologist Jennifer Donnelly. Welcome to studio. In your field of expertise, I have absolutely no experience in the area. Can you talk me through the process of what happens when I see a positive pregnancy test? Cool. Well, then I suppose first of all, I have to decide how do you feel about it. Okay, <laughs> so what say do you want to do next? You're really happy. Um, I'm really happy. It's um, well, then you, I suppose, you know, decide who you want to share it with and then to go about, you know, organising your antenatal care, I suppose. For, is see, the first. antenatal. So antenatal yeah. means like pre-birth. Pre, pre-birth, exactly. So to organise the care of your pregnancy um, over the coming months. And but so, if you find yeah. out that you're pregnant, like just after a missed period. Yes. So then you're what, like? So basically the way you work out like how pregnant are you and obviously now there's loads of like it's really handy to have apps because most people now come into me and they're already like well my you know my app says that I'm about this pregnant and so you work it out based on the first day of your last period. That's assuming that your periods are every month every 28 days and so when you say uh, you have a positive pregnancy test usually you'd be four weeks pregnant based on the first day of your last period but you probably only conceived like 14 days after that so even though you might be only two weeks pregnant actually the way that we calculate Ah. Uh, gestation and also work out your due date is based on a regular cycle. So that's why sometimes... So those first two weeks are nothing really. Exactly. Well, they're pre... Um, conception. Pre-conception, yeah. And also where the, where the egg is developing just around the time that it's released, which is usually mid-cycle, around 14 days if you have a regular cycle. So if you've got a, an irregular cycle, so if your periods are longer than that or sometimes they're shorter or if you've gotten pregnant when you're taking the pill and you've forgotten a pill or you just, you've got very long cycles or you don't don't remember, then you have to work out, you have to work backwards and see. So your GPs or you can buy a pregnancy test and then go to your GP and they'll usually work out an estimated gestation based on the first day of your last period. Or if you're uncertain, we'll then take a history to see, well, exactly how pregnant are you? And then maybe work out with your symptoms and that kind of thing. Like, have you started to feel nausea? Also, have you had any worrying signs like, you know, pain or bleeding um, and take it from there. So when you get that positive pregnancy test and you are you know, happy to continue with the pregnancy. How important is it that you take action? Because obviously I've heard stories of some people who found out they were pregnant after six or seven months, like mad stories. Or that girl who was on that show, The Rotunda, which is where you were, (laughs) who like just went into labour. Terrifying stuff. Is it important that you like take action straight away and ring your GP that morning? Well, I think that 
it's important. It depends on, I suppose, if your pregnancy is planned or unplanned. Sometimes if you have a planned pregnancy, you might have been taking folic acid in advance of pregnancy. So any woman who's thinking about getting pregnant should have a good amount of folic acid in their diet because there's very few things that we can do to influence the outcome of our pregnancies, actually. And one of them is taking folic acid regularly to reduce the risk of having spina bifida, of your baby being affected with spina bifida. It's actually relatively common in Ireland. Um, so most women who are planning a pregnancy will be taking folic acid in advance of pregnancy. So if you haven't, then you can take it as soon as you have a positive pregnancy test and it can still be helpful up to the 12th week of pregnancy. Okay, so you find the pregnancy test, you start taking folic acid if you yeah. haven't already and yeah. then you ring your GP. And yeah. then, so in Ireland, there's, mm-hmm. this is my understanding, you can go public yeah. or private yeah. or semi-private. Yeah. What do all of those mean? Yeah. So you can go, so there is... So you go to your GP and she says, yeah, you're pregnant, you're pregnant now, yeah. you're five weeks, yeah. let's say. So so if that's your first ever pregnancy, then is, if you're a healthy, well person, then I suppose you can decide where you live. Like in Dublin, there's three maternity hospitals and each of the maternity hospitals are within about two kilometres of each other, but they all serve the greater Dublin area and all of the counties around it. And just because you live in the north side or north county Dublin, you don't have to go to the Rotunda. Just because you live in the south side, you don't have to go to Hollis Street or in east in west Dublin. So a lot of people will have an affiliation with a particular maternity hospital, maybe because of their family history. If you're living in a different part of the country, like in Cork, um, the, on- the option you only have is Cork University Maternity Hospital if you're going to have your baby in hospital. And is um, that a case of being like, okay, so I'm pregnant and I work in mm-hmm. I work in Dublin City Centre, so it's mm-hmm. just going to be easier for me to go to Hollis Street. Like are yeah. is that or, or are you kind of Googling like reviews of a hospital? How do you make that decision? Yeah, well, it's, there's lots of different ways of doing it. So it kind of depends on yeah, exactly many women in their first pregnancy will they'll have an idea if they maybe have had a friend who's pregnant or a sister or where they were born, that might influence their choice of where they're going to go. Um, and and so, will they yeah. all take you? Or is yes, it, yeah. absolutely. So it's not sectorised at all. So you can decide if, no matter where you live in Dublin, you can decide to rock up to any of the maternity hospitals and all of them, any of them will take you on. And do you just rock up and say, I'm pregnant? So um, you can, usually you'd have a referral letter, but you can actually self-refer. So I was actually just looking at the Rotunda website before I came in <laughs> and there's a, you can email an appointment. Um, you can put your name in an email to get an appointment for your booking visit. And I suppose you mentioned public, private and semi-private. I, that's At that point in time, they'll ask you that question Um, and some hospitals will also have a community midwifery program and only um, one hospital where you can have a a, where there is a midwife led home birth program and that's Hollow Street Um, but many of the other hospitals including the Rotunda have a community midwife service so you can attend publicly one of the midwives in the community local to you but that won't take everyone because you have to have no other competing medical problems or anything like that. Obviously, that's most women. But obviously, some people that will suit and some people it won't suit. So if you go, let's say, first of all, public, mm-hmm. is is that when you would see community midwives or? Yeah. So if you go publicly, then you can see the community midwives or you can go through kind of routine obstetric care with one of the doctors there. But either way, whether you're going with the midwives or with the doctors or with the combined, usually it's combined antenatal care with your GP or midwife in your GP's practice and the hospital, um, you'll be seen at around 12 weeks of pregnancy and that's the same across the board. And at that stage, you come in and there's a number of things that we do and that's really a screening visit to see, um, first of all, check very basic things like your weight, your blood pressure, to do some blood tests um, and also, of course, to confirm viability to make sure that your pregnancy is ongoing. And usually it's around the 12-week mark because about one in five or one in six pregnancies will end in miscarriage before that time. 
And in the majority of cases, by the time you get to 12 weeks, most women, if they're having a miscarriage, will already have had some symptoms. They'll have had some bleeding, some pain, and they'll have sought out the help of the early pregnancy uh, unit in the hospital that's closest to them. But in a small proportion of cases, some women won't. They'll have what's called a silent miscarriage. And so when they come for their first scan, they'll see that the pregnancy is no longer viable and that the fetus, the baby stopped growing. Um, and that happens in one in five? No, so one in five will have a miscarriage, but, okay, but a silent miscarriage, miscarriage is probably about maybe about 5%. That must be pretty traumatic. That's to really just... hard because on your first visit when you come in, although you don't always have a scan first, sometimes you might and then you'll find out straight away. But if you've gone through the process of speaking with the midwife and having your bloods taken and... So if you do then, the midwives, you don't get, a, you don't have a scan? No, everyone has a scan. Every, in Before 12 weeks? Around the 12 week mark. But between if you, 12 and 14 weeks. So say you, you ring the GP at five weeks, they yeah. say, yeah, the pregnancy test is positive. Yeah. So you rock up to one of the mm-hmm. hospitals or yeah. self-refer yeah. and they book you. Is there a scan at that booking? So again, that does vary based on the different hospitals. So in the Rotunda, yes, there's a booking visit where you have a scan that will date you at that time. And in some of the other hospitals do it slightly differently. So I can't speak okay, to yeah. exactly when they do it, but it's in and around that time. Sometimes we kind of in the last couple of years change our practice so that everything would be done on that one visit. Um, some people will seek out an earlier scan, particularly if they've had obviously pain or bleeding um, and then they might either present to the emergency room, they might um, link in with their GP who referred them into the early pregnancy unit or they might go for a private scan for reassurance. And more and, and more people I think are doing that. And if you go semi-private, yeah. is it all the same? Like at what point does yeah. private, semi-private and public diverge? Probably after 12 weeks. So okay. at 12 weeks, you'll, um, regardless of what path of care, your pathway of care you're following, be it midwifery, um, midwifery shared care with your GP, semi-private or private, everyone will have a booking visit. Everyone will have a scan and will have bloods done to check their blood count, to look for, to screen for infections, to check your blood group um, and to do baseline blood pressure, check a urine sample. There's a number of kind of screening tests that are done. And what are they stage. screening for? Something wrong with you or something wrong with the fetus? So the routine screening tests that everyone has at their first visit are, first of all, um, the so the blood test is for you. So do you have... Um, are you anemic? Do you need to take extra iron, for example? Do you have, there's a number of infections that every woman is screened for, for example, rare infections, but if they're seen, a difference can be made. For example, HIV, hepatitis and syphilis, again, which is rare, but you know, every now and then there is a blip um, or a, an outbreak and you can see a slightly increased amount. And the reason for screening for those particular infections is there's very good treatment that can re- significantly reduce or remove the risk um, for the developing baby. So that's why we screen for them. And um, also we do check for urine um, for a urine infection because again some women can be more prone to kidney infections during pregnancy mm-hmm. um, so then there's another so everyone gets that done right um, sometimes also um, some women will choose to opt for a screening test um, for Down syndrome so that's something that isn't available in all hospitals um, at the 12 week mark um, and that's a blood test that looks for fetal DNA in your circulation um, and that's to assess the baby's genetics um, and that's an opt-in test and that's not available publicly at all although all of the public hospitals have facility uh, to refer you for that should you wish it. So even if you are public you can go you can get that privacy? You can access that test yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what they take blood from? Just from you and they do a scan as well to check and see uh, to check the size of the baby and then to look at they take the bloods as well and send it off. So that's Would the not, size of it show Down syndrome? No the size is just to make to um 
when they look at the size, they have to make sure that they correlate that with the level of, of fetal DNA in your blood. So it's basically to assess like the difference, the amount of DNA in your blood might be different at 11 weeks to compare it to 14 weeks. So that's why they need to know exactly how many weeks pregnant you are to do the test. And do they screen, sorry for my ignorance here, but are they screening for Down syndrome because those pregnancies are higher risk or or to let the mother know? Like, why would you screen for yeah. just that? So, for example, in the UK, in the NHS, every woman has that routinely as part of their antenatal care. So every, and it's done, there's a couple of different methods of screening for Down syndrome um, and uh, look, looking at hormonal tests that might put you at a higher risk and then go on to have the cell-free fetal DNA or just do this cell-free fetal DNA panorama or harmony are the tests, are the kind of branded names of the tests. Some people might be familiar with them. Um, but in the NHS, in the UK, everyone gets it and it's an opt-out rather than an opt-in. And I think that's just the way that antenatal screening services have developed in Ireland, that it hasn't become part of our general screening, where most hospitals in Ireland now at this point in time, when they're looking for fetal abnormalities or fetal anomalies, um, that's usually done around the 20-week scan. And nearly all hospitals in Ireland now have a 20-week scan. I could be wrong in saying that all of them have it, but I'm pretty sure that nearly all of them, if not all of them now, have scans at 20 weeks to look for fetal abnormality. But the screening test um, for Down syndrome and two other conditions um, called trisomy 13 and 18 are done because some babies that are that have Down syndrome aren't identifiable on ultrasound alone. And so that's why this additional test has been developed. So most babies don't have a genetic abnormality or um, and so most people with those three particular tests that are being screened for the result will come back normal and so people really mainly do it to be reassured rather than in the hope of finding something. And does it come back as a yes no or as a chance like one in 600 chance? So this this newer test cell-free fetal DNA is a lot better in terms of giving you an answer or giving you a risk estimate. It shows either that you're low risk and that will say about one in 10,000, high risk about, and they'll give an estimate about one in five to 10, or there is no result given. And that happens in about two to 3% of cases. So it's pretty clear. And if you got a high risk result, for example, then you would be definitely recommended to go on and have further testing in order to determine whether or not the pregnancy was affected. Oh my God. Okay. So then what, if you're, get, if you... Sorry, can I also just go back? If you then, you know the way you said that you can just pick your hospital. Mm -hmm. If you decide to go private, mm -hmm. how do you pick your consultant? Well, there is, I don't know. <laughs> there should be like a, a dating app. Because yes. like, I just, like, do you, do you meet them and then say like, oh, we're compatible or... Uh, not that I'm aware of, <laughs> I guess. Um, I suppose... Probably m many people will choose their hospital first and yeah. then will choose the consultant who's there. So many people were like, well, I definitely want to have my baby in the rotunda. And so then I'm going to have a look at the consultants and see. So like, um, But they're just basing it off what, like a picture of you and your name? They, it might be as simple as that. Or they might have asked their friends or they might have, you know, they might, might have a friend who's gone to a particular person. Or I suppose if it's not their first pregnancy, then they might have had an idea about, you know, that they might have met somebody that they might then choose to go to them again or, you know, to go back to the same person if they had them the first time around. Sometimes it can just be chance or it can be that they don't really mind because overall, I suppose, you know, most of the time, you know, obviously everyone is a little bit different, but we're all practicing in the same hospital setting and different people have slightly different skill sets and different approaches. But overall, it's we're the all approach following, thing, yeah, I think. I guess that's it. Because like if you mm -hmm. like, I'm just trying to think of myself now yeah. and also particularly with 
you know, I just kind of feel like, you know, people always say like, oh, me, me and my partner are having a baby. But yeah. I feel like at that point, like the partner has done their bit. And it's kind of like you <laughs> and your consultant <laughs> are having the baby. Like we are going through this together. And you want yeah. to be able to say like, hi, I'm really anxious and really needy. Yes. And mm-hmm. I'm going to like need an awful lot of attention. And yes. the consultant to be like, you know what? I have enough going on in my life without you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so you need to go somewhere else. I don't think that probably happens quite like I that. doubt it happens <laughs> at all, but it should, there should be some sort of Tinder for a consultant. That's very possible. I mean, I guess it kind of, there probably is sort of through some kind of, not whether it's a grapevine or it's just kind of friends. Often word it is mouth, friends, guess, sisters, yeah. word of mouth, and that's how people often make the choice. And if you're yeah. private then, and you would be seeing that person yeah. every single time you went. Each visit, yeah, exactly. But in priv- public and semi private it's you, a little bit different so you'd be seeing different people yeah so in if you're deemed to kind of be normal risk part so again that's one of the things that we look for at the first visit is does somebody have any particular um, additional risk factors that Would might change their like model of care diabetes. diabetes hypertension have they had a clot in their leg or lung in the past do they have any underlying medical disorders rheumatoid arthritis have they had a heart they had heart um, mm-hmm. surgery as a child, for example. There's loads of things um, that might have an impact on the outcome of your pregnancy and so that therefore the care may be a little bit more specialised. So okay. in my own practice, my I don't do most, like many obstetricians will do obstetrics and gynaecology and throughout my training I... Will you explain do, the two terms because yeah. I don't know the difference. Yeah, <laughs> sure. So um, lots of people get confused about what it is and also it can mean different things in different parts of the world. But basically obstetrics is kind of pre-pregnancy planning management of pregnancy, labour and delivery and postnatal care. And so I suppose from kind of pre-pregnancy to six-ish weeks postpartum, that's the job of an obstetrician. And then pre-pregnancy, like helping people to get pregnant or? Well, maybe if they have some underlying disorders or if they've had a previous complex pregnancy, they might want to see an obstetrician before their next pregnancy to talk things through. But if you're having difficulties getting pregnant, for example, then you would go to a gynecologist with expertise in reproductive health. Okay. So, and then gynecologists would also um, do, uh, look at things like incontinence, prolapse, menstrual disorders, menopause. So basically everything else um, to do with um, your vulva, vagina, uterus, ovaries um, and hormones related to to, um, kind of the female body. So some people might be seeing you for absolutely nothing to do with pregnancy. Yes, exactly. Okay, cool. So sorry, back to the, so we're now between, we're now between 12 and 20 weeks Mm -hmm. and with a high risk blood test for mm. the trisomies, uh, you've suggested that we might need another test. Yeah. So as I said, that's so all of those tests done at the 12 week are screening. They're looking for problems to see is there a higher likelihood of there being something wrong? And if there is, then moving you down an appropriate pathway. And most but of the time, yeah, most nothing. of the time there isn't because most people are healthy. Um, and for example, one of the very simple screening tests is looking at your blood group. So 85% of people have a positive blood group. So they're O positive, A positive. But 15% of women will have a negative blood group. And in that case, if their blood group is negative, there's a chance that their baby could be have a positive blood group. And if their bloods were to mix during the pregnancy, the mum could develop antibodies against that blood group, which could cause problems in future pregnancies. So if we can identify that bef- during the pregnancy, we can give mums uh, or we can give pregnant women an injection of an anti-D, which is the um, to prevent further antibodies 
being made. And so that's a screening test that's done at booking. It's very simple and it's very effective in reducing complications in pregnancy in the future. So that's one of the screening tests that would be done. So um, so that's looking for a problem and if there is, or looking for an issue and if it's there, dealing with it appropriately. Dealing with it appropriately. Um, so the scan at the booking visit, really the most important thing for that is to determine whether to make sure that the dates are correct because everything else throughout the pregnancy is really going to be managed on the basis of the gestation of how, how pregnant you are. you are. So depending, like if you went into labour early, if you went overdue, all of those kind of things are going to be really, the, the actual dates are really important. How you manage different things will change as your pregnancy progresses. So that's why it's so important at an early stage to get accurate dating and that's why we do, that's really the main importance of the scan at 12 weeks is to identify that. Now, scanning technology is getting better all the time. So we are actually able to pick up some um, fetal problems at that early stage, even without doing any other blood tests, so that sometimes we do find um, things at this gestation. For example, obviously, most commonly twins um, could be <laughs> like a surprise. <laughs> that, for is that a problem? Yeah, or a surprise. It, or, and it also requires increased Care. Surveillance during pregnancy and right, increased okay. care and will also help direct your antenatal care if you have twins. Or, I would imagine if yeah. you went into that scan, they were like, and there's two of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen that happening. And the results or the, the shock on people's faces, particularly if it's a spontaneous pregnancy, is always um, pretty remarkable. Because most people have made that joke before. They come in, oh, imagine if it's twins. And then it is. <laughs> and then it is. <laughs> and if you, so if everything is healthy mm-hmm. after 12 weeks, when would your next scan be? 20 weeks. Usually. Oh, so, so you have... Two yeah. months then of nothing. Yeah, so usually that period of time between 12 weeks and 20 weeks, most of the time you don't need to see, you don't need to see a doctor, you don't need to see a midwife, you don't need to see anyone. You can just go about your daily business. I suppose business. like people have been yeah. giving birth for millennia without, yes, exactly. <laughs> like without, yeah. without doing scans. Else. Yeah, so there's no need to, like at that stage, the risk of miscarriage after 12 weeks is significantly low. And unless you've been, say for example, identified as being at increased risk of preterm birth, and at which case they might do it, might, we might recommend a scan of the cervix at around 16 weeks. But that's only for women who have meet, fulfill particular criteria Um, other than that between 12 and 20 weeks the likelihood of there being something happening to the baby in the meantime is low and the likelihood of there being a complication for the mum or for the pregnant woman during the pregnancy at that time again is low too so in fact um, and most of the time the morning sickness is easing off your bump hasn't grown so much that you're feeling really kind of sore and slow and tired and the kind of more bothersome symptoms of pregnancy don't tend to be so pronounced at that stage. So there, once you've done those screening blood tests, you've had the scan, you know, those two months should be most of the time pretty enjoyable and there's no need for any kind of medical. What if you're just like tension. an anxious person who wants a bit of reassurance? Yeah. <laughs> well, then, I mean, then it's, I suppose, to um, you. a lot of times that's why people maybe might go privately to come back and be seen a little bit more frequently. But also, if you are anxious, there is a signi- there has been in the last couple of years significant input into mental health support for pregnant women. And so our mental health services have expanded significantly and they include psychologists, psychiatrists and midwife trained counsellors. So they're midwives and counsellors. So they can really be really helpful in dealing with kind of particular issues in relation to anxiety and pregnancy too. Because it seems like it's a pretty anxious... I mean, a friend of mine is pregnant at the moment and mm-hmm. she is... Oh, she's lovely. Like, yeah. she just wants to be yeah. in a field with other pregnant women <laughs> talking about being pregnant. But yeah. I can't understand how she's not freaking out about yeah. 
just the whole situation. And I'm like, how do you know the heart is beating today? Yeah. How, she was like, well, I still feel pregnant, so I yeah. must be. Yeah, and a lot of people will really notice the symptoms of pregnancy. And so sometimes they'll come in if they feel that they've changed significantly. So if um, all of a sudden you're not nauseous or yeah. if you're... But again, usually around the 12-week mark, those symptoms may just ease off. And as you said, some people are just very anxious that there are things that, are, that aren't going right or that there's something wrong. And those people should go privately. Well, they should just... <laughs> Or they should link in with their local mental health okay. services and they can come into the emergency room if there is a specific concern that they have. Um, because, you know, anxiety during pregnancy can be very overwhelming. It can be, you know, you can be really worried about what's going to happen in labour and delivery and can put you at increased risk of postpartum um, depression. So linking, if you felt that you were very anxious dealing with the changes that occurred because of pregnancy, then actually linking with the mental health support team at an early stage might be really helpful for after the pregnancy when there's another whole overwhelming change about to happen in your life too. Okay, don't hit me with that. We're, we're, okay, so, we're at 20 weeks. Give yes. me a break now. Okay. Yeah. So we're at 20 weeks. We have another scan. Yes. What is happening there? So it's, it might be with a different person if you're public or so, semi-private. So again, in the rotunda, all nearly all of the anatomy scans are done by our midwife stenographers okay, and then cool. are reviewed um, if there's a concern by the fetal medicine doctors. And I'm that's one of my jobs that I do. I'm kind of subspecialty trained in fetal and maternal medicine. So I do ultrasounds as well. So if at that, but I don't do the screening ultrasounds most of the time. They're done by the sonographers and then they're sent to us for review if there's an issue. So, so at 20 weeks... Sorry. What would be yeah. the issues that So could basically in 20 at twenty weeks? weeks we look at the baby from head to toe and so we look at the brain, the face, the nose, the chest, it's mad the heart. That you can do that. Like. I know, it's it's amazing that all the detail that you can get at that point in time, looking at the arms and the legs, to making sure the stomach is in the right place, looking at the bladder, finding out the gender if you want to know, um, and looking at the hands and feet. And so there's a kind of kind of international best practice guidelines for what you should see uh, and what you should look for and what you should document. Because obviously ultrasounds can't show us everything. Um, there's things that we're never going to be able to diagnose in ultrasound, but there's things that we will usually diagnose in ultrasound. Um, and so at that stage, if all of those things look normal, then in terms of structural problems with the baby, so heart, you know, major heart defects, um, major brain malformations, um, Things like um, diaphragmatic hernias, like a hole in the diaphragm with the um, contents of the tummy getting pushed up. Again, very rare things. All of those things usually you can see and outrule by the 20 weeks. And what if you find something at 20 weeks? Like by that stage, the woman is 20 weeks yeah. divided by four. What's that, five months? Yes. So I suppose, uh, yeah, what kind of things would we find at that stage? So um, sometimes the most, probably the commonest thing that we see at that stage would be a heart defect. Okay. So about you know, 1 to 2% of babies are born may have some kind of congenital heart defect or a, a, that can be something as simple as a hole in the heart that might close after birth and we don't always see all of those on ultrasound because sometimes they can be really small and they're not significant or they can be kind of a change in the way that the heart is put together and so usually you've got your aorta coming out of the left side of your heart uh, for example to give you an example and the pulmonary artery coming out of the right side of the heart sometimes they can be switched around um, again these are rare things But um, are they rare and fatal or is it just like oh that, you've got a So that's the benefit of doing the scan at that gestation because then we can be prepared for it and we can link in with paediatric cardiology and we can make an appropriate plan for the woman to have her baby at an appropriate time. The The example that I gave there um, where you have the 
the two arteries swapped around, transposition of the great arteries, that's rarely associated with an underlying genetic problem. Certain um, heart problems can be associated with a genetic problem. So doing an amniocentesis at that point in time might be recommended. A what? Uh, putting a needle into the tummy to take some fluid out to look at the baby's genetics. Sorry, excuse yeah. me. Go back. <laughs> putting a needle into the mother's stomach. Yeah. To do what? To assess for genetics, to look at the baby's so genetics. So to take fluid if out. If there was an abnormality seen on scan. Okay, only. That's the only time. You're not going to be doing done. it for the crack. Like, no. But, no. So they take fluid out and that can, what, what's in that fluid that can tell? Uh, so usually it's what's in that fluid is skin cells and that's sent to the lab and the genetics of the baby are able to be detected from that. And so it might say like, oh, there's a chromosomal issue. Exactly, or exactly. So it won't, again, it won't tell everything because genetics, there's a huge amount of um variety of genetic findings and sometimes it's only a single gene that is um, abnormal and that's not possible to tell in antenatal testing but sometimes if it's a large piece of the chrome there's often a large piece of the chromosome if that was missing or if it was rearranged or there was an additional part that will be able to be detected but again like we're kind of focusing on the things that can go wrong they're pretty rare yes most of the but time but I will always yes. <laughs> focus on the things that can go wrong in yeah. any situation yeah. because oh, yeah. okay so say nothing okay so we're doing an amniocentesis if there was if a there major was something wrong. abnormality seen on scan at that time yeah and if there isn't we leave our 20 week scan with yeah. our little pictures yeah. and then what happens so then usually, then you'd be seen a little bit more frequently over the coming time. So usually if you're doing um, uh, combined antenatal care, you would see your GP at around 24 weeks or your midwife. And, and what can the GP, like what would, me, like I'm just thinking of me going into my GP. Yeah. Like what do they? So usually what they would do is make sure that you've had your vaccination. So for example, it's really important that all pregnant women get their flu vaccine. Um it's that was that you know important even before COVID, yeah. um, <laughs> and now it's extra important. So flu vaccine, we know that women who are pregnant who get the flu are about eight to ten times more likely to be admitted to hospital with complications. Um, and in fact, um, obviously we don't know all the information about COVID yet. It doesn't seem that it affects women as badly as the flu. So for something as simple as the flu, getting flu vaccination can, is really really important. And at the moment, maternity hospitals aren't providing um, the flu vaccine, but it is free at the point of contact. So you with get your through GP. your GP and. Because pregnant women would be considered in a vulnerable group. At the moment, there is shortages in some places, but pregnant women would be considered an at-risk group, so therefore would be um, prioritised for getting uh, the flu vaccine. So that would be at so that's 24? Anytime, actually. The flu vaccine you can get throughout from the first trimester of pregnancy, but there's another vaccine that's also recommended, the whooping cough vaccine, and that can be done from 16 weeks onwards. So, um, And that's to, that's to help your baby after they're born. So basically what that does is it um, boosts your own immunity um, and then because you when transfer it, that and then you transfer that onto the baby because babies wouldn't get their um, the vaccine for the whooping cough until they're about one and so um, they can sometimes rarely get it before then and it can be really bad and so that's why it's recommended during pregnancy and your GP also would do things like checking blood pressure checking a urine sample you know even though there's so much, so many high risk things or um, high tech things we can do with ultrasounds and stuff, we still, you know, in terms of, for example, predicting preterm labor, predicting preeclampsia, which are very what's preeclampsia? Preeclampsia is high blood pressure. Okay, um, that can only it's a, a condition that only affects you when you're pregnant, um, and it can cause the baby to be growth restricted or not to grow as much. It can cause your blood pressure to go up. It can, if it's very bad, can have an effect on your kidneys and on your liver, and so we're. 
once we have identified that it's there, we can treat it, but we can't really reverse it. Um, we can look for risk factors. But, and the main thing is to try and identify it early. So by going to your GP, doing something as simple as having your blood pressure checked and dipping your urine and checking there's no protein in it, that's a really good test to say, yeah, you don't have preeclampsia at the moment. Off you go and come back in four weeks and we'll check again. And you go back to your GP again then in four weeks? So usually around kind of 24 weeks, you'd see a healthcare professional, be it a midwife, be it your GP, mm-hmm. be it your consultant, if you're in privately, um, and then back to the hospital or wherever at 28 weeks. For then another scan? For another yeah, scan right. assessment, also to do a blood count to check um, if you're anemic, because you can become anemic over the course of the pregnancy. 28 weeks is the time where you would get, if you're rhesus negative, you get the anti-D injection that I mentioned earlier on. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it would be if you meet the criteria for screening for gestational diabetes, then you would have your gestational diabetes screening test at that point in time as well. So it was kind of, and we try and, you know, do a lot of things on the same visit. So you're not coming in and out nice. to have lots of stuff done. And then at yeah. what point do they start talking about like, so this Birth. thing inside you has to come out. <laughs> to come out yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of a conversation to have the whole way through the pregnancy, really. And I think that, you know, doing antenatal classes and informing yourself from that perspective is really important. And so lots has changed in that over the last six months because it used to be that all of the hospitals would uh, arrange in-person antenatal classes where you'd come in for, you know, four or six uh, visits. You do kind of focus on different things, have a tour of the labour ward. And now because of COVID, that for a while just stopped completely and then some of the antenatal classes have started to be put up online just as a video and now we're kind of progressing more to doing Zoom um, antenatal classes so that you can have a bit more interaction with the midwife and that's all of um, excuse me antenatal education is run by midwives because they're focusing on the normal the normal birth process and also kind of what's the potential for things to happen so there is um, kind of videos on that and some antenatal education and then to come back and talk to the person who's providing your antenatal care a little bit more about that and what your birth preferences might be. What are your birth preferences? Like, what are your options? Like, just pain-free? Yeah. <laughs> so to discuss I just about wanted what, to be pain-free. <laughs> so, yeah. So if, yeah, one of the things is about how to manage pain during pregnancy or during labour, sorry. And so actually being prepared and knowing what is it going to be like and what's, what is, what are contractions, what do they feel like? And actually, you just don't know until you have one. You know, you really just don't. But how do you deal with it? So a lot of people find um, kind of by doing antenatal classes, finding out ways of dealing with it. Like recently, a lot of people find kind of hypnobirthing techniques, even if they might think, oh, that's not really something for me. It's really just something to keep keep control and to have something to focus on. But there is lots of different types of pain relief that you can you can use. For example, um, you know, in the early stages of labour, some women in their first pregnancy or in their first labour might consider a TENS machine or if they're in, which is a little thing that you stick on the lower part of your back and that kind of sends... I had one of those for sciatica once. They just give you electric shocks. Exactly. Yeah. Is that for pain relief? Yeah, that, I didn't find it. Really. It confuses the muscles or <laughs> okay. confuses the nerves that are going into the muscles. I'd say there's so, enough confusion on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, and then, of course, an epidural or um, gas and air entonox, which is nice. So, are those right. conversations that would happen around, tw- like through the whole pregnancy? Like- yeah, it would tend to happen. It's kind of led by what what kind of questions that people have, that women have whenever they're coming in and what their concerns are, what their fears are. And maybe if it's with their first pregnancy, it's really the unknown because you just don't know, you know, how how are things going to go? And again, most of the time, they go relatively straightforwardly. First labour is usually longer than subsequent labour, but you just don't know how quickly or how, how long the labour is going to last. So it's just about being prepared for that as much as you can be because it's impossible to be completely prepared. 
Taking a break from the show to tell you about our sponsor, HumdingerMortgages.ie, your new gaff without the faff. Humdinger are an award-winning mortgage brokerage and they specialise in finding the right mortgage for you. The best part is that you deal with the broker and they deal with every major bank in the Irish market so you don't have to trawl around talking to loads of people. They also make the best recommendation on what's the best way to proceed for you specifically and they stay at your side to help you at every step of the way from application to drawing down your mortgage. They're in the mortgage business, right? Not the application business. They have absolutely no interest in putting you through the ringer and getting you to fill out loads of forms without getting a mortgage at the end. And they're really honest from the get-go about what the problems might be with your application. But then they don't abandon you. They will stay by your side and give you the best advice on how to make sure that you are successful the next time you apply. They specialise in helping first-time buyers, people looking to trade up and people like me who are looking to save ourselves some money by switching our mortgage for a better rate. And like for me, I'm going to switch my mortgage. I'm working with Humdinger because like a reduction of even 0.5% on my mortgage rate can save me like 30 grand in interest over the whole term of my mortgage. Mortgages are the biggest financial decision you are ever going to make. So take advantage of speaking to experts and go to humdingermortgages.ie to begin your journey. Come on, sissy that pod. Let's get sickening. Are you a fan of the Emmy award-winning show RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you think about Roxy Andrews at the bus stop? And do you belong in Party City? Well, sissy that pod is the podcast for you. Join me, James, and my co-host, Keen. Is there something on my face? As we chat weekly about the runway realness, sickening shade, and backstage buffoonery. That's right. Whether it's new episodes of Drag Race US, UK, or All Stars. Sissy That Pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours. So make good choices and subscribe to Sissy That Pod from the Headstuff Podcast Network and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza. Now, let the music play. Once you get to like 28 weeks, mm-hmm. is it, do you see the doctor or the midwife or whoever mm-hmm. more frequently or is it kind of like just come back yeah. to us when you're in labour? No, so definitely yeah, from 28 weeks on there's a more frequent schedule of antenatal events. Can things go wrong more easily so then? So the likelihood of there being a complication increases or something that where we can do an intervention that can be helpful. So that's I suppose more to look at it rather than something's going to go wrong. Okay. Let's make sure that everything goes right. Yes. You know, and let's try and keep things. Thanks you know, for reframing my yeah. anxiety again. <laughs> let's try and make sure that things go well. Okay. Yeah. And so to look for stuff like again pre eclampsia, checking for signs of preterm labour, <coughs> keeping an eye on the baby's growth, making sure it's not too big or too small. Um, what if it is? So if it is, it. if it is a bit too big, then you might say, well, why is that? Is it, does the woman, does she have diabetes? So if you haven't met criteria for screening for diabetes, then do a diabetes screening test. If that's normal, then, you know, maybe make a decision about an earlier induction rather than kind of go into 41 plus weeks you know those kind of things if the baby's small then you might need um, a slightly increased frequency of scans just to check because most small babies are normal they're just small but at the same time it's usually recommended that if the baby is smaller than a certain size that it doesn't go past a certain gestation depending on on the growth and so but that's you know each end of the spectrum in between most babies will grow normally and then it's kind of Working out, say for example, three or four percent of babies will be breech by the time you get to breech. That's bum first, down. yeah, yeah okay. instead of head first. And so, if that's the case, then you can, at a particular time, you can say, right, well, we might be able to see if we can get the baby to turn. And if it does, then how do they get the baby to turn? Do I want to know this answer? Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> Go on, <laughs> it's tell something me. called external cephalic version, which is basically you give um, the brain woman a relaxing agent for their womb, and you try and get the baby basically to turn around by by manipulating her. Just, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. So it's not for everyone. No, um, I'd say it's not. <laughs> yeah. so, um, but it works in about fifty percent of cases, and if particularly. 
you know, so some people will be really motivated to try that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's better than yeah. trying to give birth to a breech baby. And certainly we wouldn't be, re- it wouldn't be recommended if the baby was breech. Um, so like when would the baby, when would you say that it's breech, like when is, when would you measure it and say, no, it's breech and it's not going to turn unless we do this? Because so like, don't they move around the whole yeah, time? they do. Absolutely. So like at 28 to 30 weeks, many babies will be breached. But by 36, 37 weeks, the vast majority of babies at that stage of breach aren't going to turn. Okay. So it's really at that point that you would offer that intervention if you needed or you'd plan to do a section if a cesarean section right. at 39 weeks. So your due date is 40 weeks. But um, and as we said back at the beginning, that's based on the first day of your last period. And if all is going well, we you don't, once you get to your due date, we don't just say, right, that's it. We, you've got to do something. You can wait for kind of seven to 10 days after your due date. Everything else is going well to go into spontaneous labour. And then you start talking about induction at that stage. Um, and is it a case that... If the baby's head first. Is yeah. it a case that if you if you couldn't, if you didn't know when your period was, you couldn't yeah. actually identify when you mm-hmm. got pregnant? Like, is there a place during the pregnancy where it's like, well, it's this size now, so it's probably yeah, this that's week. way back at the 12 okay. weeks. Yeah, Grand. so kind of up to 12 weeks, ultrasound is really accurate within a couple of days of dating your pregnancy. So, so at this point, now that we're like down at 30 weeks, we know Yeah, so the woman that you mentioned who got, you didn't know she was pregnant until she went into labour. How does that happen? How does that happen, Jennifer? It happens really rarely, but it happens. I've seen it happening a couple of times and it's incredible what your body can, you know, tell itself is going on. It's re- And even if you see somebody who kind of didn't realise they were pregnant, they don't look pregnant, actually. It's amazing. At nine months, they yeah. don't look pregnant. Yeah. I remember seeing one time I was, it was years ago, I was on call as an SHO and the this woman came in and the midwife called me down and said, oh, she's got some pain, she's bleeding, I think she might be having a miscarriage. And so I was pretty junior doctor at that time, kind of went down and I was like, gosh, she does seem in a lot of pain. And I examined her thinking I was going to see her cervix and I saw the baby's head and I couldn't believe it myself because, you know. But then that woman hasn't had any, any like, time. We don't know if she's got preeclampsia, like, we don't know if she's diabetic, she's yeah. had no scans yeah. and everything's fine. And everything was fine. And she was with her boyfriend and he was like, we've only been together for three months. Oh, and wow. <laughs> so, oh, God. But he was really supportive and they were actually really happy. But And the baby was fine because most babies are fine. Um, and I guess it's only recently in yeah, terms of and that was the history of the ago. world that we've started put having this in hospital. Yeah, and I think as well that, you know, and because of that, our maternal and fetal mortality has gone down significantly. So it's such a rare, thankfully, super rare event for a woman to die as a result of pregnancy. Um, And it's, you know, it's pretty uncommon for, you know, um, for a baby to die as a result of birth complications, because in the majority of cases, we can identify babies who might need sooner intervention. But unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. We still, you know, unfortunately, still uh, can't predict Everything, there's still, sadly, women who lose their babies even close to term when everything looks okay. But that's the very, very small majority of cases. And in fact, one of the main reasons for prenatal diagnosis, antenatal testing, is to try and find out where the, if there is a problem with the baby or if there is an issue that might cause a problem, that we can be proactive about it and make a plan so that the baby doesn't end up, say, if the baby had a heart condition and the woman was living in the Midlands that she wouldn't deliver there, she could be referred to a hospital closer to Crumlin where, for example, heart surgery would take place and that baby would have a much better chance to do much better if it was delivered in a hospital okay. that had that expertise of the neonatology team. Um, what, so what's the difference between prenatal and antenatal? It's kind of the it's same. It's interchangeable, thing. yeah. Um, <laughs> and so if you... So if you're just going to naturally, like hopefully spontaneously yeah. just go into labour, yeah. 
does that mean that like you just go about your life and s- at some point oh god <laughs> and <laughs> what then you just present yeah, to the hospital so, in labour and that's always the thing again with your first baby like how will I know when I'm in labour and I suppose it's I'd say you'll know you would you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, but so usually you'll get contractions they'll get stronger and so usually for a first time mum we'd say look try don't come to the hospital or there's no need to come to the hospital unless the contractions are coming every up to every five minutes and are lasting up to a minute because oftentimes in the days before you might have kind of some tightenings some contractions that maybe are quite strong but then are very irregular or infrequent um, but once they start coming and you're just meant to be like okay so these aren't regular enough, so like, just I must get ready and make sure I pack my bag <laughs> oh my god I'd be like I, I'm, I'm just I'm not leaving this hospital <laughs> I'm not leaving this hospital but I think as well like you just don't know how you're going to feel whenever you're there. And oftentimes, you know, you'll, you you will know kind of the time to go in. And sometimes there might be something like your waters will break before you have any pains at all and any contractions. And then you would go into hospital or, you know, if you have like someone's going to have a show, it's like a mucus plug with some blood mixed in with it. Sometimes, okay. you know, that's you don't need to come in if that happens. But if there was more than just a little bit of blood, kind of like a like heavy period, that would be a reason to come into hospital. And can you choose to be induced? Can you choose to be like, I want to know what date this is happening. So I want to be induced. I don't want to have this as a surprise. Yeah. So you could, you could talk about being induced, but you'd have to, like with a first labour, you're more likely to, well, there is some recent arguments about what is better. Like, should you be induced? Is it, are you less likely to have complications? if you're induced at 39 weeks when everything is going well. Um, and there's certainly a lot of kind of academic discussions around that, whether or not it is the best thing. Overall, if you look at the numbers in the rotunda, if, oh, because that's the figures that I know best, if you go into spontaneous labour with your first baby, you've got about a 10 to 15% chance of having a vaginal birth. So that's not necessarily um, avoiding say, a vacuum or forceps, which is relatively unlikely, but sorry, that means 10, fifth, 10 to 15% chance of having. Oh, sorry, of having a cesarean section. Oh, so okay. an 85% chance, sorry. Yeah, I was like, that wrong. seems pretty That's low. low. <laughs> yeah, sorry, wrong way around. Um, 10 to 15% chance of having a cesarean section okay. in labour. Um, so that's. It has, if all has been going well up until that time. And what's the statistics around if you're induced? If you're induced, if you just look at the code figures, it certainly looks higher. It does look like, though, that and there's a, a there, we're going to be doing a study soon in the rotunda looking at outcomes of spontaneous labour. Some there was a big academic study done recently that showed that some that actually the outcome might be better if you are induced. That there's a lower rate of cesarean section, but people don't fully necessarily agree with that exactly and certainly the experience would tend to be if you're being induced that it tends to be longer definitely um, and it can be a little bit um, more painful so you're more likely to use additional pain relief methods not that that's a bad thing it's just about being prepared for it Why would someone be induced if they've gone over? If they've gone over or if they have preeclampsia or okay. if they've got gestational diabetes Okay and then so then in, in, in a positive situation Yeah that all happens. Yeah, but most people will go into labour by themselves. And labour can last anywhere from days to months. Yeah, not months. <laughs> so hours to days. Hours to days. Yeah, oh, wow. and oftentimes you'll have like a pre-labouring phase with your first labour. Um, I'm actually biting my nails with the anxiety. <laughs> Sorry, go on. But it's, you know, I think it is it is about being prepared, mm-hmm. kind of being open to see what happens whenever you go into labour being aware that there are people there to help you make the right decisions during your labour and to, you know, support you, give you pain relief if you require it, if you need it, if you want it. And, you know, you've got a lot of time, most of the time, to think about what kind of things are important to you in labour 
over the course of the pregnancy and to, to prepare. Now, you can prepare, you know, as much as you like, and sometimes things will not go as you think. And you also have to be a little bit prepared for that. And that can be hard if you if you are nervous about it. But at the same time, you know, if you're healthy and the pregnancy, the pregnancy has been uncomplicated, the baby's size is good, then the likelihood is you're going to get through it safely and, you know, you might even have a good experience during it. And are there doctors you will there? The or is it just... Mid, or is it mid, would was. doctor be only so be there if there was if a, problem. a problem exactly so when you come in in labour you come in to if you think you're in labour you come in to the, into the emergency room in the, in the rotunda for example and then the midwives will see you there and assess you and if you're in labour then you'll go up to the labour ward and um, and at that stage you'll, there'll be a midwife with you um, and the doctors will there's always a doctor <coughs> excuse me in the hospital 24-7 and so if there is a, a concern about the progress in labour or there's, you know, for example, the baby's heart was dipping persistently or the baby had passed meconium or the labour was, uh, it's done a poo. Right, okay. So usually <laughs> when the waters break, the fluid is clear. Yeah. But if um, sometimes babies can do a poo and then it's kind of green um, and there's Jeremy. various kind of shades of green and sometimes that can be fine, but it just kind of just increases. We just have to keep an keep eye out for that and just... Um, watch out for it over the course of the labour and see a uh, note that it's there. So say, for example, your waters broke before labour and there was meconium, we wouldn't, we would recommend inducing then as opposed to waiting for 24 hours, which we would do otherwise if your waters were clear and you didn't have groupie strep, which is something that we would also screen for. And if at that point you were you were, you were a private patient, would mm-hmm. your doctor be there? So in the vast majority of cases, yes, your doctor would be there. So um, if you're, they wouldn't be there throughout the whole labour, but they'd yeah. be informed whenever you came in. Right. And then if there were any decisions to be made around that, then they would contact your own doctor. And then, so then it comes out, let's say. Yes. Right. Ta-da. And it's there it's and everything's fine. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you, are you just given it then and just you have to take over from there? Basically, <laughs> so, no, I mean when There's your baby is born. About it, like. <laughs> so no, when your baby is born, you'll be just so relieved, delighted, happy. Um, Do exhausted. they take it away to like check more things? Or? Yeah. So basically, when the baby is born, if it's a um, a vaginal birth or a planned cesarean section, like if it's a vaginal birth, usually if everything is fine, the ba- the midwife will be there. Your doctor may be there. They'll kind of dry baby off, stimulate the baby. Baby will cry, and then usually the at that stage, the baby is still attached to the cord, and the cord is still attached to the placenta and the placenta is still inside the baby's Beautiful. outside um, and most people most times then maybe a baby will go up onto your tummy onto your chest and you'll be like I can't believe I've done this <laughs> and it's amazing and then um, and then you might then we'll after a couple of minutes clamp and cut the cord and then or if there was a concern the baby wasn't crying or if there'd been meconium or you'd had an assisted um, vaginal birth like with a vacuum or forceps there'd be a neonatologist there a vacuum like you'd suck it out it's basically like a little cup that goes on the baby's head and so I suppose people naturally enough might be concerned or worried about um, an assisted delivery but it's really just to help the baby to come out so it's not like the mum still has to push and it's just to help often to get the baby around the final kind of bend of the pelvic floor um, to help get baby out or it could be the position of the baby so it can just help to turn the baby but if um, the woman isn't kind of pushing then you know the doctor's not going to be just pulling Pull, yeah. no. the baby out no. so it's it's kind of done with the mum pushing and then the doctor's guiding the baby out okay so yeah. we've done that yeah we'll move on yeah and then how long like how long do you get to stay in hospital and have people mind you yeah so it kind of depends so it's usually if you've had um 
a, a vaginal birth and, pro, and it's your first baby, you might stay in kind of between 24 and 72 hours. 24 hours. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, bye. Bye, see ya. No. And if you're doing so in a lot, I think... Uh, certainly in um, in Hall Street and in the Redonda, there's community midwifery support service. So you can go home, do something that's called early transfer home. So if you want, you can go home after 24 hours. And that's what if you don't want to go home? If you don't want to go home, this, <laughs> then you'd usually stay in maybe for up to three days. If you've had a vaginal birth of a section, excuse me, four or five days. But I mean, Is again, that just because you've had to have surgery and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so sometimes it can just be a little bit, you've got a little bit more pain. You, it's a little bit harder to get mobilizing. You might need a little bit of more support with breastfeeding if you plan to breastfeed. That kind of thing. And then at what point is it like, by you're no longer one of our clients or one of our patients? Yeah, so patients? I, are they patients? No. Do I you suppose, call them patients? You're private? Or like you're, yeah, I mean, I suppose patients women. is used, but it's women are having yeah. babies. Because yeah. <laughs> most of the time they're well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And clients. No. It's, it's a bit formal. Yeah. Um, and so I suppose postnatally then, once you go home, yeah, you that's, you know, there's a lot of focus now on support or maybe you know, <clears throat> for women post-birth going home, particularly with breastfeeding. Um, it can be really difficult, but just getting used to having a new person in your life. But as an obstetrician or you know, you're kind of focused on getting through the pregnancy, getting to the birth and then those kind of few days postpartum. And then, you know, the midwives um, also will be supporting you on the ward and then going home. Then it's kind of your body is recovering, but then you're kind of more focusing on feeding the baby, looking after the baby as well. Right. <laughs> it does seem quite a big thing. It's a huge thing. Like <laughs> yeah. you're just sitting here being like, and then this, and then we're going <laughs> to stick a needle in here and then we do this. I'm like, all right, why would you do this? Yeah. Because it's great and it keeps humanity yeah. going, I guess. It does. Yeah. And, you know, I think any, you know, it, it can be really nerve wracking and, you know, it it's not always straightforward and it can be really, pregnancy can be a really anxiety provoking time. Not everyone is, you know, happy after birth. You know, they might have had, you know, traumas in the past or they've struggled or, you know, there's lots of things going on and having a newborn baby is very difficult. And as I said, you know, mentioned before about mental health support and having a supportive partner or, you know, family members around, that's really good and I think you know one of the things that people have said you know that's that's maybe been a positive over the last few months is to have a bit more time to just not do anything else and just kind of focus on on kind of feeding and recovering and just having a very small group of close family members around but again that sometimes for some people can just be very isolating and they don't have any other option. And is it just for people listening is it okay to like go into all of these um, appointments and have all these mad questions. Of course, and I mean, really, yeah, I mean, you've heard it all, right? Yeah, I think, well, I'm sure there's always something new to hear, but <laughs> nonetheless, yeah, basically, no, that's what you're there for, I think, a lot of times is just to ask questions, um, to ask questions, to kind of say, right, and like, what's going on here? Like, what can I expect? You know, what does this mean? And to kind of interpret those symptoms, you know, and to help you interpret the symptoms because, you know, your body does change an awful lot. And, you know, when we're used to kind of being in control of our bodies and what they do, what we're putting into it and what we're what's coming out, you know, being pregnant is so different because so much changes, you know, our weight increases, our, you know, we can't sleep the same way that we normally do. We can't walk as quickly. How we exercise changes, all of that kind of stuff. So like our bodies are changing hugely over that time. And so it's good to just be able to ask questions about it and to try and get, you know, reassurance about what is happening. How much time would you get at each of those appointments? Like, do you, is it kind of in and out or would you have a chance to chat? It kind of depends. Yeah. yeah. It depends on your questions and on what's happening and if there's any kind of 
additional issues to, to deal with. So most of the time, you know, in a busy antenatal clinic, it may not be, you may not have that much time, but then you can always go back and, and have more time, I suppose, um, if there are issues that are identified and have more time to discuss certain things. And that's why it's not just at the visits, it's doing the antenatal education as well and mm-hmm. and kind of being prepared for that. Well, anyone listening to this who yeah. works in maternity hospital is going to yeah. be like putting my name on this bag. Do not let her <laughs> no. into this hospital. Uh, Jennifer Donnelly, thank you so very much for oh, terrifying me and enlightening me. I hope I didn't terrify you. I don't need too much to be terrified, <laughs> to be honest. Okay, well, thanks for having me. Thank, thank you so you. much. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning into that episode and thank you to Jennifer Donnelly. That was amazing. Um, and to the Rotunda Hospital and actually the Coombe and the National Maternity Hospital and all of our frontline workers. Um, now that I kind of realise that um, being pregnant is not a medical emergency, um, I've been talking to some of you on Instagram and I'm going to do an episode with a midwife um, because for most women who have problem-free pregnancies, a midwife is all they'll need and sometimes all they'll see for most of the pregnancy. So in January, we're going to do a midwife-led care episode. Uh, so tune in for that. And if you enjoyed this episode, please, I'd be so grateful if you would share it on your social media or just tell one person about it. That is really the best way to get the message out there and find a bigger audience. Share it on your socials or um, give us a, if you can't do that, just rate us or review us wherever you get your podcasts. This week, as usual, our music is by Only Ruin. We are produced by the Headstuff Podcast Network. Our artwork is by Kahlo Gara and we record in the podcast studios. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 